We have the privilege of, again, considering the resurrection of Jesus this week. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 20. This is our second to last sermon in the Gospel of John series. And uh, next week, Pastor Greg will actually be winding us down and and bringing us to the end of the book as he preaches chapter 21. Uh, But this week, I want to preach the second half of John 20, which we started last week. And so if you look at chapter 20 of John, we're going to read verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, called Twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoors again, and Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Jesus, as we consider your word this morning, would you speak clearly to us? Give us confidence in the things that we read here about your resurrection. Confidence that would propel us toward obedience. Open our eyes to see you as the disciples saw you. To believe in our hearts and who you are and what you've done. Give us a, a, ready, a readiness and a, a willingness to carry out your mission that you have given to your followers here on earth. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we began this consideration of the resurrection and what it means for us, and, and this week we continue this. And the, the, some of the things that, that we, we looked to last week in terms of Mary's response, and you remember if you were here with us, at least you, you'll remember hopefully that, that Mary was the first to see the empty tomb, but not the last. She went and told the disciples because they were together and at least two of the disciples came and they saw the empty tomb for themselves. And so now word is starting to spread that Jesus isn't where he's supposed to be. And then Jesus appears to Mary and the, the pieces start to connect for Mary. Like, wait a minute, I thought somebody maybe just stole his body. Now he's standing here talking to me and he sent her on this mission to go and tell the disciples And now the disciples together are going to see him for themselves. 
minus one. And that'll, that'll create an interesting situation that we'll get to a little bit later as we look at this text. Let's go ahead and get the handout ready. If you have the handout in front of you, by the way, uh, I want to ask you to write something at, at, the, at the top above the points there. If you would write, because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, that was meant to be included on there and is meant to be the first part of each of these four statements that we're going to look at today, because Jesus is the living and risen Savior. If you can get something like that down. That will help uh, complete the handout. The first set of fill in the blanks that you do see on there, because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, fear gives way to rejoicing. The first thing we see in this text is that in, in response to the resurrection and appearance of Jesus, because he is the living and risen Savior, fear gives way to rejoicing. Here's what's going on. It says in verse 19, when it was evening on that first day of the week. So this is Sunday evening. Jesus is crucified on Friday. He's placed in the tomb. The tomb is sealed and guarded. All day Saturday, he's in the tomb. By, by the time Sunday morning rolls around, sometime early Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the grave. He vacates the tomb. He appears to Mary. And the disciples see the empty tomb. When it was evening that day, evening on Sunday, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. They had, had not yet come to understand Jesus' resurrection. And, and honestly, I don't know if that would have changed anything or not because we find them later with the doors locked again. They're, they're in a tough place. The disciples have been a part of this sort of rebellion that, that occurs when Jesus comes into Jerusalem a week prior and everybody says, hallelujah, here he is, here's our savior. And the Jews are obviously very upset about this. The Romans are upset about this. And these, these 11 men are sort of at the center of this entire incident. And so they're afraid, rightfully so. These same Jews and these same Romans just crucified their leader. It'd be natural for them to think, well, are we next? What are they going to do with us? But there they are, e evening on that first day of the week, gathered together, doors locked, afraid. And then the Bible says, Jesus came, stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, this, is, this was the normal greeting. This was how they would greet each other. Peace be with you. But perhaps, perhaps never had that greeting, which was just an everyday greeting, been more relevant and been more possible. We might say something like that to each other. Peace be with you. And, and some people might respond, and also with you, you know, we might say something like that, but, but honestly, we, ha we have no ability to convey peace to one another. We can wish for, we can hope for peace for one another, but we cannot give peace. When Jesus, the, the creator and sustainer of the universe, says, peace be with you, peace is with you. He actually speaks it into reality. 
He makes it happen. Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. You remember he's, he's crucified, so there's nails through his hands. Uh, at the end of the crucifixion, because they did not want to leave Jesus' body on the cross uh, for, the, for the Passover, they wanted to make sure that he and the other two men who were crucified with him were dead. And so they break the legs of the other two men to expedite the process of their death. But then they come to Jesus and realize he's already dead, so they don't break his legs, which is actually a fulfillment of, of prophecy. But instead of breaking his legs, they want to make sure that he's dead too. And so they pierce his side and sure enough, he's dead. So he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They go from fear to rejoicing. Because Jesus is alive. Because Jesus has risen Because he's no longer in the tomb. These men who were were consumed by fear. How do we know they were consumed by fear? Well, they they were huddling together in a room with the doors locked. Grown men. Now they rejoice. One of the effects of the resurrection... One of the implications of the resurrection for for these disciples and for all disciples that come to follow, including us, is that fear gives way to rejoicing. The fear of death gives way to rejoicing. The fear of, of having our sins held against us gives way to rejoicing. The fear of suffering gives way to rejoicing because we have a Savior who has conquered death. Remember, we talked about this this last week, the last couple of weeks, actually, where Jesus has defeated our two greatest enemies. He's defeated sin, and he's defeated death. Our two biggest problems, sin because it separates us from, from the holy and righteous and just God who created us, and death because it happens, and it happens to all of us. And in the most cruel way possible, separates us from everything that up until that point we've known and loved and and everything that has been our lives. Those are our two greatest enemies. Yet Jesus has defeated them both. Jesus has overcome death. And the evidence of that, the proof of that is that the tomb is empty. The grave is empty. And so will one day your grave be empty. You will not remain there forever. That's the good news of the gospel. The good news of Jesus' resurrection. And so fear gives way to rejoicing. John would write, in addition to his gospel, he would write a couple of letters to the church. And in one of those letters... First John, which won't be on the screen, but perhaps you want to jot down the reference so that you can look it up later. First John chapter 4, verse 18. John says, there is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. John wrote these words in part because he was one of those fearful men in that room 
when Jesus appeared. And it was his experience that the resurrected Jesus turned fear into rejoicing. And so he says there's no fear in love, for perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of the Jews. Why were they afraid of the Jews? Because the Jews were going to punish them. And what does Jesus do? He drives out that fear. He replaces it with rejoicing. At least temporarily, at least for the moment, he replaces their fear with rejoicing. This is, this is what the resurrection does. It makes possible that we can replace fear with rejoicing. But that's not all. There are a couple more things that we see from this passage. If you have your hand out in front of you, let's fill in the next set of blanks. Because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, ordinary people become kingdom ambassadors. Ordinary people become kingdom ambassadors. What happens next? Okay, so Jesus shows up and, and, and they're not afraid anymore. What does he do next? Jesus said to them again, verse 21, peace be with you. Now, how, why does Jesus repeat this? Why does he say this to them again? He already said, I mean, how awkward is that? Like, you say hello to somebody and then you stand there and you talk to them for a minute and like you're some robot that the software just glitched and you started over at the beginning and you said, hello. You're like, what? What the heck's going on here? We've been talking. Why does Jesus say this to him again? Because he, he again, this, this isn't just a greeting. This is a declaration this is Jesus actually conveying peace upon them. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So you've got this group of 11 men locked up. I'm sorry, 10 men, because we know Thomas isn't there. 10 men locked in this room together, scared for their lives, literally scared for their lives. Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. They got to be thinking, well, that's not good. The Father sent you and they killed you. <laughs> Is it cool if you don't send us, maybe? After saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. What is Jesus doing? He's sending them out. To use a word that we use, he's sending them out as ambassadors. Why, why, the, why ambassadors? Because ambassadors are given the authority to carry out the desires of the one who has sent them. So that's exactly what Jesus is doing. First of all, he, he gives them the Holy Spirit, which he had been promising He'd been promising that this Holy Spirit would come and equip them for the work of the ministry that he was giving to them to complete, that the Holy Spirit would bring to remembrance the things that they, that they had been taught by him. And so he gives them this Holy Spirit, and then he, then he gives them his authority. 
That's what, that's what ambassadors do. They, they go out in the authority of the one who sent them and they carry out his or her will or his or her wishes. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And so he gives them this authority to carry out the ministry of the gospel. To take into all the world the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. To take into all the world the good news of the gospel. The good news of the resurrected Savior who is alive who has left behind the tomb, who has defeated sin and who has defeated death and and offers eternal life. He sends them out. These ordinary men, fishermen and tax collectors and just, just regular people, not the religious leaders, they rejected him. Not, not, not even the, the, the Roman authorities. He just picks ordinary people. The good news of that today is that that's exactly what he still does. He just chooses ordinary people like, like you and like me. And, 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 and you know, Yenzers from Western Pennsylvania get to be part of what Jesus is doing in the world. We become kingdom ambassadors sent out by the king himself having been given the authority to declare the gospel. I mean, think about the boldness of, of somebody like me or you telling another person that their sins can be forgiven by God. By what authority do we speak such crazy realities? The authority of the gospel. The authority of the gospel. Jesus has conveyed to us his authority to go and tell people that in him their sins can be forgiven. In him, they can be saved. And so Paul would write in 2 Corinthians, again, jot this one down, it won't be on the screen, 2 Corinthians 5. You can always abbreviate Corinthians, just C-O-R, by the way. If, if, uh, there's, a lot, there's a lot of letters there, so feel free to abbreviate. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 16 through 21. This is what Paul says in response to, to what we're seeing here in John 20. He says, from now on, then we do not know people, I'm sorry, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Then he says in verse 20, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul here is referring to what had just recently happened in the context of John 20, that Jesus was crucified on the cross. That 
Paul's way of saying that is that God made him who knew no sin, Jesus, the sinless one, to be sin for us. He takes our sin upon himself and being crucified on the cross. Therefore, in light of that, we have become ambassadors. We have become God's representatives. We have become the ones who are sent out into the world to make this appeal to people. Be reconciled to God. Have your sins forgiven in Jesus and be reconciled to him. Be made right with him through the cross and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul says, from now on, that's how we relate to everybody. That's what he means when he says we, don't, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. To know people from a worldly perspective is to live as if Jesus has not made you an ambassador for his kingdom. To know people from a worldly perspective is just to live out the relationships of your life ignoring the gospel commission that Jesus has given you to tell them about the good news of forgiveness through his death and resurrection. To know people from a worldly perspective is to just be consumed by talking about all of the things that everybody else talks about. Hey, you know, what do you think? Sealers just hired a new defensive assistant. Let's talk about that for the next three hours. Hey, you know, the Penguins are getting ready for the playoffs. Let's, let's, let's talk about everything except for your relationship with the God who created you. Let's, let's, let's just let, let our relationship be completely about worldly, temporary things. And let's never talk about Jesus. That's knowing someone from a worldly perspective. Paul says from now on, we don't do that. We don't have relationships where we just act as if Jesus didn't die for this person's sins. And it's my job to make that appeal to them, to be reconciled to God through the the death and resurrection of Jesus. We don't do that. We are ambassadors for Christ. So we make this appeal. No, more than that. He says, not that we make this appeal. He says, since God is making his appeal through us, it's God how, did, how does God bring people into a reconciled, saving relationship with him? Through his followers, through you and I, becoming ambassadors for him. God is literally reaching out to the people who are apart from him through our lives, through us. He's making his appeal and he's, he's, he's grabbing a hold of them. And he's pulling them in. And our part in this play is that we're, we, are, we are pleading on Christ's behalf, Paul says. Be reconciled to God. Come to Jesus. Come and receive his mercy and his grace. Don't live your life apart from him. And heaven forbid, don't die in your sins without a savior. Be reconciled to God. That's what it means to be an ambassador. That we now take our human relationships and we stop seeing them merely from a worldly perspective. That's not to say we never talk about those other things. Don't, don't, 
take what I was saying too far. It's, it's, it's that we understand our primary mission is to be ambassadors for Christ. Our primary mission is to help people know him, to make that appeal. Because Jesus is the living and risen Savior. Ordinary people become kingdom ambassadors. Thirdly, because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, doubts become belief. Doubts become belief. We want to look at Thomas. One of the most, one of the coolest things about this passage is the story of Thomas. This, this could have played out differently. Thomas could have been in that room and he could have seen Jesus at the same time. And had that happened, the story would have been the first three or four, four uh, verses of this passage. Jesus shows up. He says, hey, guys, I'm here. Everybody's fear is turned into rejoicing. They all believe because they saw Jesus. But God, by his grace, gives us the story of Thomas. The story of Thomas goes like this. Verse 24, but Thomas, called twin, one of the 12, was not with him, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were telling him, we've seen the Lord. We saw Jesus. He showed up. Dude, you should have been here last night. Jesus came. <laughs> but he said to them, if I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will never believe. That's rational. That's reasonable. Thomas is not with the disciples when they see Jesus. He's heard about the empty tomb. He may have even gone and witnessed the empty tomb. Either way, it, from his perspective, the other disciples have lost their minds. What? What are you talking about? Jesus is dead. He's not coming back, guys. It's over. If I don't see the mark of the nails in his hands, put my finger into the mark of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will never believe. A week later, his disciples were indoor again. That's great. Jesus waits a week. Jesus, he doesn't work on our schedule. He doesn't show up as soon as Thomas says that. If you're, if you're here today and you're not totally sold on the gospel, not totally sold on Jesus and the Bible, but you're seeking. You're like, I want to know. I want to know the truth. I can't promise you that, that, that Jesus is going to reveal himself to you on your schedule according to your demands the way you want him to. This is not the way it works. He's God, not us. We don't get to say, God, if you're real, show me, show me that you're here. We don't... There's no guarantee he's going to answer that. And you wouldn't be alone. Thomas said, until I see him, I don't believe. A week later. Now, a week's not a terribly long time. But it might be for you. It might be a year later. Or a decade later. Or a long time later. A week later, his disciples were indoors again. And Thomas was with them. Even though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. 
Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Man, he calls Thomas out. You talk about being seen. He just walks right up to Thomas. Go ahead. You said, you, you said until, you, until you touched and until you felt and you saw with your own eyes, you would not believe. So Jesus is like, here, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Don't be faithless, but believe. Thomas responded to him, my Lord, my God. He believed. And Jesus said, and this is amazing. I love that John includes this in his gospel. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Big whoop. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's where we come in. We don't get to see with our physical eyes, Jesus. We don't get to touch, we don't get to touch his nail-scarred hands. We don't, we don't get to, to, to feel the injury on his side. We don't get to hear audibly Jesus say, here, touch me. Reach out your hand. Don't be faithless, but believe. We hear through the word of God and through the witness and the testimony of his ambassadors. This is how we see him. This is how we hear him. And he says we're blessed because of that. If we believe, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You want to be blessed by God? Believe. Believe what you have not seen. Take him at his word. Believe what he has said is true. All right, we've covered three of the four things. Because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, fear gives way to rejoicing. Ordinary people become kingdom ambassadors, and doubts become belief. Finally, because Jesus is the living and risen Savior, we can confidently believe and find eternal life in him. We can confidently believe and find eternal life in him. Where does this is this is the culmination of where John's gospel was going from the very beginning. John is not just haphazardly writing down his account of Jesus's life and ministry. He's taking us somewhere and where he's taking us was always from the very first words of his book to verses 30 and 31. He says in verse 30, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's where John was going this whole time. This, this is the purpose of this whole book. Jesus did all kinds of things that, aren't, that, that I didn't bother to write down here. Can only make this book so long. 
We can only write down so many things. How many, how many more things are necessary for you to believe? He said, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And we know that from John, the rest of John's gospel, that life that he's talking about is eternal life. The reason John wrote these things down is so that we might have eternal life in Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So he, he writes down seven miraculous signs that Jesus did in his earth and earthly ministry. He could have written eight. He could have written 800. He chose seven. Those seven were strategically chosen to reveal different things about Jesus and about his character, about who he is. He gives us these seven miraculous signs. Then he chooses seven witnesses, seven different people. And he picks these people from, from, from strategic walks of life. You've got like the Samaritan woman. You've, you've, you've got um, Pilate. You've got the Jewish, he's picking, picking selective witnesses. They're not all just the same. He doesn't just choose seven witnesses whom you would expect to believe. He chooses seven witnesses that, that perhaps represent people you would expect not to believe. He gives us seven of Jesus's I am declarations. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the good shepherd. He, te- he lets Jesus's voice speak for himself He's put all of these things together. This is his argument. He's, he's like, a, a, like a courtroom lawyer. He's made his argument. He's called his witnesses. He's presented his evidence. He's put Jesus on the stand. He's let Jesus speak for himself. And he says, this is written so that you may believe. And that by believing you may have eternal life in his name. The resurrection of Jesus brings all of this together. The resurrection of Jesus means that we can confidently believe that this is true. It it is sort of, no, I don't want to say it's it's like the bow, hunt. I don't want to say that. It's, it's the miracle that, that brings validity to everything that has happened so far. I mean, Jesus has done some really miraculous stuff. He already rose Lazarus from the dead. He's miraculously healed people. He's walked on water. He's done miraculous things. But there could be other ways potentially of explaining all of that. As long as you're alive, you can manipulate reality a little bit. We see this with like illusionists and magicians and stuff, people that do things that were like, I don't believe my eyes. I don't know what I'm seeing here. But you know what's really hard to do? And by the way, I'm not suggesting that's at all what Jesus was doing. But you know what's really hard to do? Come back from being dead. (laughs) That's really hard. Like to be literally dead, to, to be executed by professional barbaric executioners who, who pride themselves in making sure that you are dead, dead. To come back from that, that's the ultimate miracle. 
That's amazing. And so we can confidently believe and find eternal life in him. Belief comes from seeing Jesus as he is. The disciples believed because they saw him with their physical eyes. But the majority of believers in Christ, the overwhelming majority, only a handful of, of, of people, actually only a few hundred uh, people saw Jesus' physically resurrected body. There have been billions of believers in Christ since then, none of whom have seen Jesus with their physical eyes. What they did, however, is see Jesus with their spirits. They have seen Jesus with their spiritual eyes. They have seen and they have come to believe that this is who he is and that by believing they have gained eternal life. I consider myself to be one of them. I've not physically seen Jesus, but I've seen Jesus. He has revealed himself to me. He has made himself known to me. What about you? Do you believe? We titled this sermon series, Believe. That was the objective of John's gospel. His gospel was written so that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing you may have life in his name. Do you believe? If you don't believe, what would it take? How many more signs? How many more witnesses? How many, how many more declarations from Jesus' own mouth? And on top of all of that, the resurrection of Jesus. Don't, don't be one of the foolish few who say, well, I'll believe in God when he shows himself to me. I'll believe in God when he proves his existence. Don't do that, because he's already done that. He's already proved himself. What you may want to do is, in, instead if you're not going to submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what you may want to do instead is just be honest and say, I just don't want that. But you can't say he hasn't shown himself. You can't say he hasn't proved himself. The argument has been made. The defense has rested. Now it's up to you to decide if you believe.